Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 102. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are back this week to discuss Muppet Treasure Island. Something that is vastly different from the movie that we talked about last week, which was 1950's Treasure Island. A movie that kind of surprised us in regards to its sort of accurate body count when compared <laughs> to the original novel and, and the controversy that surrounded that film because of the body count and being so close to the novel. Suffice to say, I didn't expect to see the same body count here in Muppet Treasure Island. No way. Now, had you grown up on this one? Had you seen it before? Admittedly, I saw it once and did not like it. So sitting back to watch it now um, was something that I was really interested in because you know, I think this movie, I believe this movie came out in 1996. And I always thought it was older than that. Me too. So I guess... Like, when I was 10 years old, I still liked the Muppets. And I think that as I'm now in my 30s, looking back on the mid-90s, I couldn't figure out whether the movie wasn't any good or whether I was in that really weird in-between age where you still kind of like this stuff, but at the same time, you're starting to grow out of it. So going back to revisit this movie was something I was excited to do this week. What about you? I was all Muppets all the time growing up, but this was probably the thing that I watched the least. I think I've, I had only seen it once before we watched it for our review. Um, it's not that I didn't like it as a kid, but I guess I didn't appreciate it as far as the adaptation goes. I think to me, before I had read the book, like it was just another Muppets movie. Um, now... Having read the book and especially having watched Walt's first live action film right. just last week, you know, completely different mindset watching it now. Well, I think, too, because when you think back on, like, The Muppet Christmas Carol, for example, everybody knows the story of The Christmas Carol off the top of their head, I think, better than they know the story of Treasure Island. Right. Mostly because there have just been so many versions of A Christmas Carol done. And you can kind of sum that story up in like 45 minutes. This is a lot deeper. It has a lot more going on. But the same can be said. There have been so many adaptations of Treasure Island. Yeah. And some very close to the novel, some vastly different from the novel. And it should come as no surprise that this version, for so many reasons, is so vastly different. We're not going to do a plot synopsis per se, because we just did one last week. We're going to be discussing Treasure Planet next week, so rather than rehash the same thing for three straight weeks and waste your time, I think what we have to do is talk about the differences between this and the 1950s film, because by and large, the 1950s film is very, very close to the novel. Very close with a couple of changes, like, you know, you don't see Jim Hawkins' father. He's already passed away. You don't see his mother, although you know that she's there. And that his family owns the Admiral Benbow. 
in this story, it is so vastly different from the jump because Jim Hawkins works at the inn with Gonzo and Rizzo and he's already an orphan. So it's not a family business and he doesn't have a family. So he's an orphan in this. Let me ask you, that that is probably the biggest difference between this version and the version uh, that you saw play out in the 50s. How do you feel about this change? Um, I think it was an interesting choice, but it works for this version. I don't like that they strayed that far from the book, but I think as far as Jim wanting more and the call to adventure, I definitely think it was a smart choice because what this film also does, and I think you know we're going to get more into this because I think overall the biggest difference is that this strips down the story yeah. and it strips down the character relationships. And I mean, obviously it's the Muppets. It's going to be geared towards kids. So of course you're going to simplify things, but you lose a lot of that coming of age that the book is about because really, of course it's a pirate story. It's an adventure story, but what makes it so timeless is you get, Jim's character arc and you get the personal growth and the coming of age and here um, I feel like they depict him even younger than he's supposed to be in the book oh so, so that's very interesting so I first off I agree with everything you just said um, in fact my exact notes are Jim's more accurate because he's British um, <laughs> they changed also that <laughs> but change to an orphan works with the Muppets specifically. Um, but I really don't love this change because I can I can live with the fact that they throw it out there that his father was a seaman himself, that he was a first mate, and that Jim was longing to follow in his father's footsteps, which is vastly different than Jim kind of longing for something more and longing for that life at sea as opposed to staying at the Admiral Benbow his whole life. But I think you do lose a lot of, as you pointed out, the coming of age, specifically the whole trying to be the man of the house and going against his mother's wishes for the for the best of his family, you know, with the best of intentions. Here, there's no drama. He can come and go as he pleases. So him leaving a job at the Admiral Benbow that seemingly he didn't really love to begin with. Like th There was nothing at stake for him there. Whereas in the original story, he's leaving everything he knows behind. He's leaving his mother behind to fend for herself and run this in without him because long, you know, the long and the short of it is, in the big picture, he knows that short-term this will hurt her, but long-term they will prosper if he can get his hands on Flint's treasure. That is all completely out the window here. So I don't want to say there's no accountability, but there is so much less risk involved with him going off and doing this. But I think where they tie it back around nicely, specifically for kids, because we, I've never looked at the Muppets as children's programming. I've looked them as I've looked at them as family entertainment. 
in this case, I think this was a little bit more geared towards children. Because even with A Muppet Christmas Carol, they didn't change an awful lot from what is otherwise a very dark story that's supposed to teach you a lesson. In this case, though, you have Gonzo and Rizzo. It Again, it works. I like how they did it with Jim. But they made it a little bit sillier, a little bit goofier. And it goes back to what I said before. There's just so much less at stake here. Well, that's what the Muppets are. I mean, of course it's going to be silly, but I do agree with you. I don't look at it as children's entertainment either. It is family entertainment. I think that's what makes the Muppets so timeless as well, is that there's something for all ages to enjoy. Right. However, as far as the children's aspect of it goes, I think that they're a lot more cognizant that children are watching and that's why it has to be simplified. I'm not saying, you know, you're not bringing it down to a kid's level, but because they know it is family entertainment, you have to make it a little bit more simple because I think that that's something that we didn't really hit on last week when we discussed Treasure Island. You know, it is so close to the book And the book is very convoluted. We talked about it when we reviewed Pirates of the Caribbean, how convoluted it gets sometimes because there's so much double crossing. But the book doesn't get enough credit for that either. Right. And I think that's what makes these pirate stories so alluring, whether it's Treasure Island or Pirates of the Caribbean, is because that line between good and evil becomes very much blurred. Yes. Whereas in this because they're really watering down the story. And again, I think not geared towards family. I think very much geared towards children. There is not a thin line between good and evil here. I think that... Well, see, it's sort of interesting how they do it in this movie because they... You know Silver is the villain, And I think that goes further than just knowing Long John Silver is a villain by the time you get to this version of the movie because you've heard and seen so many different adaptations of the story so you know what's going to happen. Go go with me here because this is going to sound really... This is going to sound contradictory, but go with me here. I think they do a fairly good job of fleshing out how much he likes Jim, especially at the end of the movie, um, which is very more true to the novel than uh, than the 1950s version. And I think that they start laying the groundwork for the complicated relationship between the two of them. But I think that, and I don't know if it's the way that it's written or if it's the way that Tim Curry is playing it, though I I believe it's the way that the story is written. There's not the gray area that exists in the 1950s version or in the novel itself. So while you have a complicated character and a complicated relationship where I think he's conflicted at times... It's only with Jim. It's never with doing the right thing. It's just with Hawkins. I agree with you, but I think that Tim Curry's performance has more to do with them simplifying the story to appeal to children. Before we get into that, though, because I will talk forever about Tim Curry, I want to talk about another legend 
in this film and dial it back to the beginning and some of the other changes that they made. Let's talk about Billy Connolly as Captain Bones. Love the casting choice here. Um, But I think it was kind of interesting that they chose to start the film with a flashback and show the, well, they don't show the mutiny necessarily, but they show them hiding the treasure. Right, they hide it in a musical number. Exactly. Um, So that's obviously one of the biggest changes is that this is a musical, which we've been talking about and how a musical may cheese up the entirety of the genre, but we'll get to the songs later. Um, I go back and forth with this one because in Pirates of the Caribbean, I really liked that we saw the initial meeting of Elizabeth and Will. And part of that is because it is a film, so I always default to show me rather than tell me about it. Um, But in this case, I feel like you lose a little bit of that relationship between Jim and Captain Bones and you're losing where he starts to get the allure and the call to the sea. I think you don't necessarily need it here because they made him an orphan. So you get it in that regard. But you're definitely missing the setup of the internal struggle because he's not engaging with Captain Bones and his stories where his father's telling him all of the dangers of piracy. And that's the same thing that happens in the 1950s film. What I do like here with Billy Connolly, first off, I think this is more Bones than the 1950s version. Definitely. Um, I, I think I think he's a little bit more age appropriate. Um, he's dirty. He's drunk. This is more what you think the captain is going to be when you compare him to what's written in the book. And I also think that the voiceover he gives in the beginning and, you know, in conjunction with the musical number, I think it does a good job of giving backstory very quickly for the sake of saving time and getting right into the adventure. Does the pacing of the movie hold up the entire way as good as they do it in the first five or ten minutes? That's yet to be determined. We'll get to to that soon. But I think that a lot of what they do in the beginning holds more true to the book than the 1950s version. For example, the Admiral Benbow in this, in my mind, is far closer to what I envisioned it would be in the original novel, more so than the 1950s version. This, to me, is more of an in, whereas the 50s version is more of just a house on a hill. Same. Um, I really like what they did with the Admiral Benbow here. Um, definitely closer to what I imagined in the book. Um, and I like that they almost one-up it, and they make it more of a party scene. I, and I think that's that's classic Muppets, too, because anytime you think about, like... They do it in the Christmas Carol when they go to the tavern and it's it's like full ensemble cast. Everybody's yeah. in there. They do it um, on Muppet Family Christmas. That was the one that I grew up in where they're all at Fozzie's house. And because there's a snowstorm, little by little, the entire Muppet gang ends up there. So I like that this was jam-packed with characters. I like the atmosphere that they created. And I think that that lends 
that's where Billy Connolly and the way that he portrayed Bones lends to the party atmosphere of this whole scene. Yeah. They burn the Admiral Benbow in this, which is very, very different from the what happens in the book where it doesn't burn down and Jim Hawkins returns to it, which I suppose also lends itself to this version of the story because, again, he's an orphan. He's got nothing holding him back, and now he doesn't have an inn to go back to. It's not as if it's his family home because... He does not have his family. Instead, he's got his boss, Mrs. Blueveridge, I believe is how you pronounce the name, Blueveridge. I think so. Um, yeah, and they do call to it. There is a throwaway line of we may as well. He has the map in hand, and he's like, all right, we may as well go. because We have nothing else here. Right. Um, and as far as him having you know she's the innkeeper and i guess she's giving him room and board to me that almost pulled from pete's dragon a little bit this is obviously very different than pete wanting to escape the gogans but i think it all serves to the choice of making him an orphan and even though it loses some of the internal conflict it works for this story as far as Jim just wanting more and wanting to go on an adventure. Um, the explosion is a little far-fetched, I think, for the book, but to me it's classic Gonzo. Um, so I definitely think that it works in regards to the Muppets. Um, my bigger issue with the scene, I feel like they missed out on having Deadly be Blind Pew. Yeah, I would agree. Especially because the Muppet that they're casting there looks so similar to Deadly, but I feel like I was definitely missing that over-the-top theatrical voice, and it would have just made the scene even more fun. Um, I've also had a lot of issues with the portrayal of the black spot, not just in Treasure Island. I had the issue of it, in Pirates of the Caribbean, where I said that I hated the CGI and I wish that they had actually transferred an object between Bootstrap Bill and yeah. Captain Jack. So now you've gotten what you've wanted. I got what I wanted and I said a piece of paper was lame. But I think for the Muppets, it actually really works because to me, that's classic Muppety humor is if they take something that is supposed to be such a big deal and then they dumb it down. Like in this case, the black spot is supposed to be something so horrible and if they're just passing off a piece of paper, like that, that is classic Muppets to me. So here it works. Okay, but that's how they did it in the original story. So it's I'm gr I'm so happy that you feel settled <laughs> in this for the Muppets, but this this is how it happened. I know, but it's it's just so lame in the original. They didn't build it up enough in in the original movie. I think that's my issue with it. Mm. They just hand it off. It's supposed to be so much meaner, and it wasn't. Yeah. Okay. I'm. We're no. I'm disagreeing with you on this. That's how it was written. That's how they did it twice. And the one time they strayed from it, you didn't like it. So you just don't like the black spot. That's how I'm going to sum this up in my own mind. There's almost no way they could do the black spot that will appease you. Except for the Muppets. I think it works here. I'll tell you what doesn't work here is Mrs. Blueveridge. Um, 
because at the risk of repeating myself, although at this point I kind of don't care, because I, I can't stress enough how I don't like, in this movie in particular, movies in general, but in this movie in particular, when you take really good complex characters in literature and you dump a bucket of water on them, which they do with Jim Hawkins. I understand with Blueveridge, it's not his mother. There's nothing keeping him here. But I hate that there is nothing at stake anymore. And if I'm being honest with you, I think she's unnecessary. And I don't find her to be funny at all. I like the running joke with her, though, that she's always overhearing either that they're not doing their chores or at the very end, they're worried that she's trapped in the house and she escapes and she takes the pirates with her and and kicks them out of her inn, even though it's burning around her. Um, I thought that was kind of funny. I actually, Jennifer Saunders plays her and I actually thought it was um, the same actress that, that was the Trunchbull in Matilda. And yeah, I would have yeah. just loved more of that here. Sure. And then it would have, to your point, given him more to run away from. Because it's not like she was so horrible. No, she just punished them for not doing their job. Right, and in that what case... What a concept nowadays. Right, if she's giving you room and board, you have to do your job. It's right. not like she was completely horrible. It's not like she was mistreating them in any way. It, she, she wasn't an aunt from James and the Giant Peach. Exactly, and she she also helped him escape. Right. I agree with you when it comes to Deadly. I think that, as in typical... As is typically the case, I think that they do a fairly good job of integrating their characters in, into the story. But something that is, in your opinion, never integrated well into films, regardless of whether it's done stylistically or not, and whether or not it's appropriate, is a Dutch angle. They're never appropriate. I... Ten more times than not, I agree with you, but I'm gonna disagree with you here. But I'm gonna let you have your Dutch angle rant, and then I will have my <laughs> say. Well, for those who are not familiar with the term, a Dutch angle is when they tilt the camera. It's like a 45 degree angle. The shot is on a slant, and it doesn't cut against anything. It breaks continuity. Like, you may as well have your character turn to the camera and be like, hey guys, you're watching a movie right now. It just completely breaks the flow. So, it doesn't work in any film. Watch Thor if you really want some good examples of Dutch angles. Um, and I'm really surprised that they tried to incorporate them here because in a Muppet movie, especially when you have the Muppets interacting with a full-grown person, that's very hard to do because they're trying to hide the Muppet performers. Right. More times than not, I agree with you. But in this case, I actually think that it works because a majority of the Dutch angles that you see are when Bones is losing his mind and when Pew enters the film. Now, I think it works in this case because what they do here is they have Billy Connolly as Bones really playing that drunk, fever-eyed, borderline, demented, through fear, pirate. And I think 
for them to insert a Dutch angle, and they do it a lot. Uh, they do it more than they should, so I'll, I'll throw you that bone. But I think stylistically in this case, because he is so hysterical and because he is losing his mind so much, whether that's alcohol-induced or not or a little bit of both, I think it works to kind of take the world and turn it on its side because that's exactly what's happening in the movie. I think the better choice to demonstrate what he's thinking and feeling would have been a POV shot. However, I don't know that you can do that with Muppets. So I'll give it to you there. I'm not saying that Dutch angles are okay, but I think as far as the production goes, I don't know that you can do a POV shot with the Muppets. Sure. Let's talk about now integrating some of the other characters the Muppet performers into the movie here. And it sort of hurts me to say this, but I have to anyway. Fozzie as Mm -hmm. Squire Trelawney. This, this is horrible. The whole talking to the invisible man that lives in his finger Makes no sense. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with the original story. No. It's not funny. It's beaten to death. And it's completely unnecessary. I agree with you on all counts. I like Fozzie as Squire Trulani, but I hate how they dumb down the character. Because last week, I said that the actor portrayed him as kind of a drunk and they did make him a little silly which I think worked so I think in that regard Fozzie yucking it up as Squire Trulani was great but you could have just done that with his typical corny jokes we did not need him talking to his finger um what I really do like that they did and I wish they had played up on this a little bit more um they had a throwaway line that he was funding this voyage with his father's money and uh, it gets me every time when he was uh, he he make ref he makes reference to being a a trust fund kid and yeah, a rich half wit son. There it is. Yeah, and as much of an a trope as that is, I thought it was hysterical. And I wish that maybe um, instead of talking to his finger, maybe there was like an internal dialogue a little bit more, and and playing off of how much trouble he could be in if his father found out this was how he was spending his father's money or something like that. Anything would have been better than talking to his finger. Because the the brilliance that is the Muppets is their comedic timing. Yeah. And specifically their, their dry humor. There's a finesse to it that makes it so special and so unique. And that's when they when they pull it off, that's why it is so good. In this case, though, it lacks any sort of subtlety. And I know, like, for example, um, there were some Muppet. I think it was Frank Oz, that took a lot of issue with the fart shoes that they put on Fozzie in Siegel's Muppets mm-hmm. because he said we were above that kind of humor. And I don't see how... I mean, this is not toilet humor the way that you can make a case for that but i don't understand how 
that was unacceptable. But him talking to his finger, it never having a payoff, it never making any sense and never being funny and lacking all sort of subtlety and dryness, how this is acceptable. Right, because if they did go the toilet humor route, they would call it out. They would call out other things doing it. They would make it more highbrow. Um, Here, I think they do a better job of having Bunsen as Dr. Livesey. Um, And even though... Anytime they're trying to do really anything, beaker foils something, there's usually an explosion or something falls or whatever. That's how you bring the Muppet humor into the character perfectly. I really think it was a miss, especially because I think I think Fozzie was the perfect choice to play Squire Trelawney. But I just, yeah, they really dumbed it down. And talking about integrating Muppets properly... Bunsen and Honeydew, or uh, or Bunsen and Beaker, they're the they're the perfect yes. integration. Yeah, because you you're not going to need a medical doctor because nobody's going to get killed in this movie. But nobody's he is really doctor. Him, but he's still a doctor. Dr. Bunsen Honeydew. Yeah, exactly. So he's still he's still himself inserted into this story, working in this world. So there's that comfort level where. You know you're watching the Muppets, but you're watching the Muppets tell the story of Treasure Island. Or even something like, for example, at first I didn't like Gonzo and Rizzo being Jim's sidekicks. And just being Gonzo and Rizzo. Exactly. And because that really is where you lose the most of Jim's internal struggle and his internal dialogue because they're really being the voice of his conscience and they're dictating what he does, but they make it work because Rizzo is classic Rizzo and he uses the voyage to establish his own cruise business, which I think is absolutely hysterical Caribbean throughout cruise line. Exactly. Like that keeps coming back into play, but it's done tastefully. It's done appropriately. The comedic timing is perfect. Unlike Fozzie's finger. Right. And obviously, when you made Jim an orphan, you needed to somehow... or How do I say this the right way? If you're an orphan, it's implied that you don't have a family that you are necessarily connected with. But because it is such a far stretch from the original version of Hawkins that I feel like you still needed to insert the quote-unquote family structure to an extent. And I think that, more so than just being a voice of reason or a conscience, is where Gonzo and Rizzo work as his little friends and sidekicks. Because, again, he has nothing at risk. He has nothing on the table otherwise. That's a really good point, especially, too, because usually Kermit is your voice of reason. But because they cast him as... Smollett. Yeah. He can't really take Jim under his wing. Like, he does it first, but that does not... That would deviate way too far from the source material. Right. So now we're starting to get introduced to some more of the characters, and we get Tim Curry who we've touched on a little bit here. My note is that he's a treasure. Yes. How did you feel about the introduction of Tim Curry here? I love how they introduce him. Um, You know, I like that he's singing a pirate shanty. I like that he 
sort of fakes them out that he's going to be this horrible mean guy and ends up joking with Jim right off the bat. Um, And what I really love is that he does not tone down the Tim Curry throughout this performance. Yeah. He still makes all of the noises. He's still eccentric. I love it. I think he's perfect. He's got pirate whimsy that works for the Muppets. I think that if you would have inserted this version of Long John Silver into any other Treasure uh, Treasure Island film, it's it's a big miss. Um, but I think it works for this telling of the story. Or likewise, could I see him cast in Pirates of the Caribbean? No. no. How about Polly Lobster as opposed to the parrot Captain Flint? I think that I, I don't I don't understand this at all. I think that this is a miss. Um, I understand Long John Silver is a cook, but I don't know why you gave him Polly Lobster. Yeah, because at that rate, it makes it seem like the character just needs a sidekick. But what you really lose is Flint the Parrot. First of all, parrots have very long lives, so that's why you need the parrot sidekick. Um, But there's always the implication that he knows something and that he's passing down the story. Right. And they do make Polly say pieces of eight, but it's not quite the same. It seems more offhand almost than when Flint the parrot kind of lets you in on a little secret. Right. Then as we get more and more introduction to the characters here, you have Sam Eagle as Mr. Arrow, um, and we have Kermit as Smollett, um, which, to touch on what you said before, yes, Kermit is typically your voice of reason. He's the leader of the pack, but I think by default he had to become Smollett in this movie because he's your leading man. Does he work as Smollett? I think he works as Smollett because Kermit has to be the lead. Right, because in, no matter what it is, Kermit is always wrangling the Muppets, be it to put on a show and he's the one who's organizing the chaos. So in, he, in this case, he's organizing the crew to get the ship off. Right. But I mean, I, I think that's as, about as far as I can Oh, it's not that Kermit isn't enjoyable in this movie, but um I don't like him in the role of someone we don't always know that we can trust yes. because you can always trust Kermit with I mean again it it does sort of serve the story more because we've stripped away the blurred lines of good and evil where in the source material, Jim does question Smollett. He does side with pirates at one point. So I feel like that's where you don't want to question Kermit. But I feel like in the stripped down version, Smollett is not as unreliable as he is in the book. Right, because in the book, the only person you know you can trust the whole time is Jim. Right. And, and even, you know, it, it plays out that way in the 1950s film as well. Um, what I really don't like is that 
they didn't cast the entire pirate crew as Muppets. And there's still more humans like to me at that point it should just be jim and long john silver as the only people in this film i well i don't know i don't think that you have enough muppets where you could do that i mean they went and created new characters for the sake of putting them in this movie because they had to stretch the cast out yeah but i feel like there's always like your background Muppet characters. And some of them don't make an appearance. Like I don't, I off the top of my head, I don't recall seeing Rolf in this. Right. That's what I'm saying. So you, you didn't use all of your core Muppets and you did have a lot of them in the background, but like maybe instead of Dr. Teeth and the electric mayhem being like the cruise band, which is how they're sort of, cast aside like animals not even animal in this movie you see him but there's no animal joke he doesn't foil anything he would have been great as as a fever-eyed pirate exactly but instead they just use them as the background music i would have rather seen them be the crew or like make them a useless crew where it's like every time they're supposed to do something they pick up their instruments and they start playing right. i think sweetums was great yeah but um yeah, I don't think you needed people on the crew. Or even even like Gonzo's chickens or something could have done more. They could have swabbed the deck or something, you know? Yeah. We actually get out to sea now after we've met everybody, for better or for worse. And a, a critique I had of the 1950s film was that we didn't get the feeling that they had been gone for very long. Because... Jim in the book comes back and his mother says, this is not my son, this is a man. And that not only speaks to how hardened he is to the world, but how he has grown since he's been on this voyage. Here, before they launch into Cabin Fever, they go so far as to say we're six weeks at sea. So I feel like this version of the film is truer to the book in that it is a much longer voyage than is uh, portrayed in... Walt's version of the movie. But they also travel by map, which does speed things up a bit. Yes. And that also lends itself to that Muppet humor. Definitely. What I also like about keeping consistent with the Muppets, um, in the book, Mr. Arrow gets killed, which they stuck to uh, in the 50s version. And... You know, I think they did a good job of keeping it consistent because really Long John Silver uses reverse psychology almost yeah. to to take him out. Um, so I think that was consistent here. But what I really like is that they totally played off of Sam Eagle's character and how he's kind of OCD and Long John Silver tells him he needs to test the light, the lifeboat, but he's got to like really take it out to sea to make sure it works. And... I love that they used the Muppet character for that plot point. I think that works. I like Sam Eagle as Arrow. Same. Um, I, th th I didn't understand why he kept jumping into these conclusions where people were going to get lashes and walk the plank and why he was speaking on Smollett's behalf. Um, because that never happens in the book. 
and it didn't happen in the 1950s movie. It doesn't bother me that he's speaking on Smollett's behalf, but I don't think we needed to hear about lashes and things like that because you're never going to see something like that in a Muppet movie. Right. There's no Israel hands. Right. Um, obviously, Jim kills hands in in the book and in the film, and, and that character is completely written out here. Um, so when I see things... And, and hands plays an integral role in Treasure Island. So to lose a character that means so much to the story, for their version it works, but to eliminate him and then insert a character like a Polly Lobster, it that those are changes that to me don't make any sort of sense. Yeah, I mean you, I mean it's possible that they didn't want to do the parrot and make him a smart aleck because it's on the heels of Iago and maybe they wanted to do something different, but the story of Treasure Island came out long before Aladdin was made, so no one would have held it against them if they would have stuck to a parrot on the shoulder of a pirate. Right. Or even, again, you could have used a different Muppet. You know, you could have done... Even, you know what, I, I would have preferred if they had done like the fruit because long john silver is a cook right so if they had the tomatoes talking i mean it's a muppet movie you always see the veggies talking so if that's where he was taking his cues from i would have even preferred that to to polly um and they named it polly too come on polly want a cracker like just stick with the parrot at that point yeah but this is where you're right it really does start to deviate from the book, especially once we get to the island. Um, but I feel like some of the choices that they're making now don't even go to serve the story. I mean, you've, you're completely abandoning the story of Jim's personal growth. Um, you still get that we have to figure out or Jim's got to figure out what he needs to do when he's faced with a situation and when things aren't going the way that he planned and we're seeing how he reacts to things and how he's really learning as he goes. And I think that stays consistent. But without Jim making the kill, you're losing such a big piece of the character because it's part of his fight for survival and it is ultimately a choice that he made. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. And the minute that they get on the island, to me, is where the pacing of the movie dies. Yeah. Um, which should not be the case. I mean, you're watching a movie called Muppet Treasure Island based on a book called Treasure Island. It's all about getting to Treasure Island. And once they get there... You've got Silver and his crew that stage their mutiny. They get to the island. Everybody else stays back on the boat. You have Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem that don't know. And they call it out. They go, we I good or bad? That. I like it, but they use it as a means to give Long John Silver another musical number. Um, and the thing is, once they get to the island in both the book and the original film, that's where all the action happens. There's no action in this movie. So you got to the island 
to go for the treasure, but instead of action, because they're not going to have the body count, instead, you try to insert Piggy into the movie as Benjamina Gunn, and they try to develop this, you know, jaded lover story, and this very bizarre love triangle between Piggy and Flint and Smollett and Silver, and the whole thing just falls flat on its face. I think that, before we get to Piggy, because that really is... A compl- obviously it's a complete deviation but I think we've been talking about it the whole time this is a simplified version so part of what's happening is that they've eliminated the double crossing I think from the minute Long John Silver is interested in the map that clearly identifies him as the villain. And then once they get to the island, they really play up on that because instead of, you know, you're eliminating the fight sequence, you're eliminating Jim getting hurt and Long John Silver having to abandon his plan to save Jim. So I think it works for the simplicity, but without all of that back and forth, you're losing screen time. And I think that's why... They well, they needed to bring in Piggy in some regard. I think that the whole love triangle was a big miss, but as far as Piggy being like the leader of the island after she got marooned, I think that's so on brand for Piggy to have been stranded but then end up ruling the roost. I think it's on brand for her. But I think there's a missed opportunity to really play up on that marooned, completely psychotic character that they they kind of dialed it back in the 1950s version because he's a lot more manic in the book. Here you can get away with being totally manic because it's the Muppets. To that me, that be should have been animal. Yep, there. Yep. Here's there where is. this movie should have made a big change. You don't need this love triangle. You don't need the love story. And I don't think you need Piggy ruling the island. I said that Kermit works as Smollett because it's a Muppet movie. But I don't particularly love him as Smollett. The fact that I'm sitting there and says, well, it works because it's the Muppets is not enough of a reason to put him in the role. Here's how this entire thing should have been changed. I think I see where you're going and I like this. Piggy and Kermit... Smollett and Arrow. No. Oh, really? Nope. Take them out of it completely. Oh. In that regard. They have the Admiral Benbow. And Kermit's nephew, Robin, Mm. plays Hawkins. And it's not that Kermit dies. And maybe we don't even get him sick because nobody wants to see Kermit sick. But maybe they're on tough times. They can't afford to keep the inn going. And Robin takes on the responsibility of, I'll go, you two have to stay, I'll go on the voyage, I'll be the cabin boy, I'll help bring home the treasure. Then you can get either another Muppet or a live-action actor to play Smollett. I think that works more than how they played it out here. I definitely agree with you because I was thinking of Robin the whole time. Um, I was even maybe thinking of him 
in the role of Polly. Like if you wanted just like a small sidekick, but then I was like, no, Robin's got more, so much more substance than that. But I, I think I agree with you. I think he would have made a great gym or what I would have done was made Piggy Smollett because that's also consistent with Piggy is I'm going to take over this whole situation and it's all about me, me, me. And then she's after the treasure. I could certainly see that, especially if they made the treasure, maybe not just gold, but if it's like a whole fancy wardrobe and I could totally see Piggy being that untrustworthy character because she's just so self self-absorbed. And then well, you don't necessarily want to see Kermit die as Arrow either, but to be that second in command and to wrangle Piggy, I think that that would have worked. Yeah. I and in agree. this case, Arrow comes back anyway, so we we could have gotten Kermit back. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I regardless of whether it was more in long more in line with what you said or more in line with what I said, I think what we have on the third act of this movie is just a huge miss. It's a miss. It's a mess. Um, You do get a sword fight at the end between Smollett and Silver. Too long. It's too long. Um, It doesn't happen in the book, but of course you have to see Kermit sword fight Long John Silver. Um, But yeah, um... It's it's really just it, it's a garbage plate. The whole third act is just is really not very good at all. And I here's the thing: I really struggled with this because it actually like hurt my soul to the point where I felt like I had to remove it and and sell it to a deity that I would actually <laughs> say something negative about the Muppets. Because it just feels wrong to say something negative about the Muppets. But I've never seen Muppets in space, and from what I understand, that's a total mess, which is why I've never seen it. And one day I'm going to have to suck it up for the sake of this show, and I'm not looking forward to that day. But I really struggled with, did it work? Because And, and that, was, that was my struggle. I kept having to, to, to pull myself away from, it, well, it works because it's the Muppets. It can't always be that way. And I really, it really hurt me to come to this conclusion that this movie ends up just falling apart in the last 25 minutes the way that it does. You're right. I don't want to be critical of the Muppets, but the third act is a dumpster fire. What does salvage it a little bit is that I do like the final showdown between Jim and Long John Silver. But that also is a tribute to Tim Curry's performance. Um, I think it should have been finessed a little bit story-wise because they villainize him for the sake of simplifying it for kids. And I feel like they don't build up enough to where he lets Jim off the hook. When Jim catches him escaping with the gold. They don't make a point of saying that he's only taking half, which is a big part of the Long John Silver character because his arc is the balance between pirate and good man. And they do a good job of establishing the mutual respect that they have for each other. But 
it's more along the lines of Jim, in this case, looks up to Long John Silver like the father he never had, and that's why he lets him get away. And Long John Silver sees a lot of himself in Jim. Right. Not the same as, you know, Will's relationship with Jack Sparrow, where there's that mutual admiration for each other, and they're looking out for each other. And that's why they'll always try and help the other one get away. Yeah, because you lack the denial here that you have, which makes the relationship between Will and Jack Sparrow so complex. This is also a more true to the book ending where Jim has the chance to be the whistleblower and chooses not to be. He chooses to let him leave. Um, But that's where I'm saying it's not true to the book i mean it is in that regard in the final showdown but i'm saying their their reasoning behind it is not the same as the book as far as letting each other go well i think you're right there but it ties up the loose ends where you see that at the end even in this version of the film silver really does love jim and I feel like had they not played it off this way, that that entire thing really could have been lost. Well, I think part of that is because the talisman in this movie, instead of the apples, which is a thread in the story, it's a thread in the 50s version. Here it's the compass. Right. Because, and we kind of we kind of jumped over that before. Instead of Jim killing for the first time in the book being his act of piracy when he hands over the compass that's the act of piracy that aligns him with long john silver but he gets it back he gets it back but it also more truer to the book this movie plays it out where jim is sort of being led down the primrose path by silver not realizing the ill intent so he hands the compass over and he has the throwaway line of you could man you could captain this ship silver because he thinks he's just having a conversation with yes. his friend. He doesn't realize that he's having a conversation with who ends up being the villain of the film. Right. So there is that added drama as well. Do you have anything else to add on the plot before we talk about the musical numbers here? No, let's uh let's redeem the muppets in the music. Do we Ooh. Sometimes we do. Okay, this Sometimes is going to get interesting. But yeah, I definitely don't want to hit on plot anymore because I don't want to criticize this any more than we already have. I think Shiver My Timbers, the opening song, I think that is certainly a form of redemption. I love that it gives backstory um, without hurting the pace of the film initially, and that all goes down the tubes, um, as we've laid out. I love the fact that it seems authentic because it sounds like a real sea shanty, and I think it's shot very well. I love the little tributes to piracy, and they talk about the pieces of eight there. I think this entire thing works very well to kick the movie off. And the lighting. Yes. You get a really nice sunset. Um, Yeah, I think as far as... The Sea Shanty, it's a great song. As far as the Muppets, it's on brand. I think it's a really great scene. Here's where it gets a little muddy for me, though. Um, Hans Zimmer, who did Pirates 2 and 3, scored Muppet Treasure Island. The music 
sounds a lot like Black Pearl. But what's interesting is that Hans Zimmer did not do Curse of the Black Pearl. Klaus Bedelt did. I think I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, so Zimmer built on his score in the second and third movie. I don't know why that why the original composer didn't stick through the the entire trilogy and Hans Zimmer took it over. That was not something I was able to find in my research. I don't know if he got fired or maybe creative differences. But it just really struck me how much this sounds like Black Pearl, but that was not Zimmer's work. Right. So that was completely distracting to me in the opening scene. Um, I love the music. I think it's exactly what a pirate score needs to be but I just thought it was really interesting how it relates to the Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy but otherwise good opening number something better this is Jim's song this is uh as Howard Ashman has mentioned the second or third song into a play usually it's the female lead singing about her her motivation and what she wants. In this case, it's Jim doing it. Well, if you ask Blind Pew, it would be a female lead. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it works. Um, It's a great means of him expressing his dreams and his motivation for getting out. I think it works for this version of the character. Is it the great man or a Muppet song? No. It, It serves the purpose good for the character, good for the story, but like I wasn't sitting there going, wow, this kid is crazy talented or wow, these lyrics, you know, it didn't blow me away like Siegel's music did. And I think that's because Man or Muppet is sort of a coming of age song. This entire story is supposed to be a coming of age tale for Jim. And this would have been a really good opportunity for them to play up on that in this song. And they kind of do, but they don't. They never go. They never totally get there. To me, this is like Bell. I want more, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. Sailing for Adventure is the next song on the soundtrack here. I think for this movie, it's that perfect Muppety song with the fun and the whimsy. I love the harmony with the ensemble cast here. Um, it's what you expect when you find out that the Muppets are doing a version of Treasure Island and it's going to be a musical. I would agree. But again, this is where I don't need more real people other than Jim and Long John Silver. I wish it was just full Muppets. I think the thing I wish we didn't have more than anything else was that horrendously long roll call that they do right after this number because it's like straight out of the cat from outer space. Oh, why? Why? It was just pointless. That's like the first time the pacing starts to die. Yeah. Which is a problem because that's when the adventure is supposed to start. And that also goes back to your point before of why do we have all of these Muppets that we've never seen? Why aren't you casting people like Rolf and Robin who are not seen here? Where's Bean Bunny? Bean Bunny is nowhere. Oh, Bean Bunny would have been a good gym too. Um, I think... In his innocence, he would have played it well, but because Bean ends up being his own foil so many times, I don't think it would have worked. I think after seeing how they portrayed Robin as Tiny Tim, I think there's your there's your basis of comparison for how good he could have been as a Jim Hawkins. 
Or then maybe Bean Bunny could have been the parrot. Yes. They they could have figured something out. Um, the song that everybody remembers is Cabin Fever. Muppety Perfection. It's funny. It's good for kids. It reminds me of the mask that Jim Carrey scene in the mask where they kind of get into the samba salsa in the nightclub. Um, I mean, the Muppet humor is oozing in this song. Especially because they really bring in that subplot of Rizzo's Caribbean cruises. Yeah. This is what I remember vividly about this movie. I remembered this more than I remembered anything about the actual film before we went back and revisited it this week. See, to me, this is where you do a Muppet adaptation for reasons like this number. If you had done the rest of the movie straight-laced and then you bring the chaos with a song like this because everybody's losing it, that's where the Muppets are perfect. That's also where the decision to do it as a musical is perfect. So I kind of wish that they had... I mean, we already talked about it. I wish they eliminated the stupidness of Fozzie's finger. I wish that they hadn't done the roll call. But if they had followed the book a little bit more stringently, that's where this number would have really hit even bigger. Yeah. A Professional Pirate is the song that they give to Tim Curry because you're going to give Tim Curry a song. His only one, as he points out. Yeah. I don't think this is at all necessary, and I don't think it does anything to further the development of one of the great characters in the history of literature. I disagree completely. I mean, I think he needs a solo, first of all. Um, But I think because you didn't have Jim Kill... This entire song is about Long John Silver trying to persuade Jim to join his ranks and coaxing him to give over the compass. So instead of doing that in a very dialogue-heavy way, I think this was a more fun way to do it. Something I want to hit on, too, they do it they do an excellent job throughout the rest of the film of hiding Long John Silver's leg. In this number, though, particularly when they lift him, everything is exposed. It doesn't look very good. You kind of lost a little bit of it there. Um, And that's something we didn't hit on last week. I think they did an excellent job in the 50s version of hiding the leg. Yeah, more so than they did here. They they totally lost it here, which, again, it's like the Dutch angle thing. The, The Muppets are experts at hiding behind things how do you miss that i think because i think they tried to do too much with hoisting him around they shouldn't have they did it on the ship already so you really didn't need it here no sometimes you just have to kiss keep it simple stupid and that's what the muppets do very well and in this case they they kind of strayed away from that and it, it did hurt i think the integrity of the film much like unpopular opinion Love Let Us Here. I think that it's a good song, but not for this movie, because I think that it is a pace and story killer. And I don't think you needed this love story, and I don't think you needed this duet. And honestly, there's nothing about this song that's very special that sets it apart. You You could stick it... No, no, no. I say that because I feel like you could have stuck this in Seagull's Muppet movie. You could have stuck this in any Muppet movie because the one thing the Muppets do 
is that they get completely formulaic with Kermit and Piggy. There's always a strain on their relationship. There's always a distance that's been put between them. And it's always Piggy is holding Kermit accountable because Kermit went off to try and do something and he, he's been gone for a long time or he disappeared or it, it seems that he left her behind and that was never his intention or it became the outcome with the best of intentions. You could literally stick this in any Muppet movie. Blasphemy. Um, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it. you could literally stick it in any single one of them. And well, it would I will agree with that because to me, this is like one of the most underrated Muppet songs ever. I think it's a beautifully written song. Um, I think it's up there with Rainbow Connection as far as the Muppet catalog goes. Um, and to me... I don't want to say that it justifies the love triangle because as good as the song is, the third act of the movie is such a disaster. But I think the reason being for that is because they tried to retrofit the story into this song and they wanted the third act to build to this song. And as much of a payoff as the song is because it's so good you should not have squandered the rest of the film for the sake of having this number and this moment, the formulaic moment, as you put it, between Kermit and Piggy. They could have sung this instead of capturing Piggy. They could have sung this once Kermit got to the island and found her. Exactly. And they had the moment, too. They make a joke of it when the tour guide brings Rizzo's group through and says, here we are shooting Muppet Treasure Island. You have the waterfall. Kermit and Piggy are sitting on the rock. It's, it's like, can you feel the love tonight? Goodness. And you could have done it there instead of the two of them hanging upside down in peril. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else before we go into our final synopsis of this film? I'm good. Why don't, why don't you go? With your final synopsis. So I had to do a little bit of research because, as I said before, there was a good 25 minutes where I thought to myself, I have no soul. <laughs> so I went and I looked at where this film ranks in terms of the Muppet catalog. And the first one, the first ranking that I came across was on Slash Film. And it didn't make me feel very good about myself because they had this ranked as the number two Muppet movie of all time. <gasps> Behind what? Uh, the Muppet movie. Okay. But they had Seagulls as one of the worst. So <gasps> then I thought to myself, okay, so this is wrong. Yeah. And I went and I looked at everything else. And, 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 and so many other polls sort of had this about where I thought it was and then I felt okay with myself and I felt com comfortable coming to this microphone. I have never not been comfortable coming to this microphone. Ever. This was the only time. Because how do you say anything bad about the Muppets? But this movie kind of makes it very easy to do that. Um, I think that from the only Muppet movie I have not... Well, the only two Muppet movies I have not seen are Muppets Most Wanted and Muppets in Space. Because Muppets Most Wanted came after Siegel's Muppets, which was so good. And I thought Muppets Most Wanted looked so bad that I said, I'll wait for streaming or DVD rental and still haven't gotten around to it because, I mean, we'll get to it eventually. Not totally motivated. 
Same reason why I haven't seen Muppets in Space. Doesn't look good. Not totally motivated. So, eliminating those two, in my opinion, now we're talking about six Muppet films, this one is by far the worst. Um, I know a lot of people think Muppets Take Manhattan is the worst. You can make a case for it. I think this, of the six Muppet movies that I've seen, is the worst of all of them. Wow. And it's not even debatable to me. You can make a case for Muppets Take Manhattan, but I think this is by far the worst one. I mean, you think about this. Seagull's Muppets, The Muppet Christmas Carol, The Muppet Movie, The Great Muppet Caper. I mean, all of the... And then this. It, It just doesn't even seem like it's in the same category. No, and of the two that we've reviewed for the show previously, which was Seagull's Muppets, which is back on episode five, if you're new to the show and you want to catch up, uh, and Christmas Carol, which we just did this past Christmas, just did. It's August. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Well, this, this this is a weird year. Yeah. Christmas feels like a month ago in this weird 2020 time warp. But anyway, uh, we gave both of them very, very high marks. In fact, Seagull's Muppets is... I mean, that is my favorite Muppet film, hands down, but not even just favorite Muppet film. It's it's up in my top 20, personally, like all-time favorite films. I think he knocked it out of the park. So, of course, am I going to sit here and say, is this my favorite Muppets film? No, it's not. Um, what grieves me about it is that it had all of the perfect ingredients it's a great story to begin with. So all of the blueprints were there and there's no reason they should not have knocked this one out of the park and they just didn't. They barely even made it to first base the way that the third act collapses. Um, I hate to say it about a Muppets movie, um, but there's just not a lot of redeeming qualities here. There's moments that I very much enjoy, um, but for a Muppet movie where you cast Tim Curry, this should be my favorite one, and it's just not. I had hoped that in revisiting it in my 30s, I would have gone back and said, ah, you know what? I could see as a 10 or 11-year-old when you're starting to grow up and come of age where you wouldn't have appreciated this. But looking back on it now, they really did a good job. That's really what I wanted out of this, and I just didn't get it. I think, you know, to pose the question that we always do, does it hold up? This is one you can enjoy more as a kid because you can just appreciate it as an adventure story, as a Muppet movie, and leave it at that. Here, when you compare it to the source material and its predecessor, it, it just doesn't compare. I, I totally agree. But we're interested in knowing what you have to say. You can let us know what your review is of Muppet Treasure Island on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first a quick break. If you're thinking of taking a Disney trip this year, whether it's Walt Disney World in Florida, Disneyland in California, a Disney cruise, or Olani in Hawaii, get in touch with me for a free quote. I would love to help you plan a trip for you and your family. Or even if you've already booked, reach out. I want to help get you the best deal possible. You can contact me on any of the Monoreal Radio social media outlets 
or shoot me an email at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. So the Orlando Weekly posted an article discussing Disney 50 and the filing of the Project Nugget Permit. I love this name, by the way. Now, I had speculated. I don't love to speculate, but I had speculated that the Disney 50 celebration would last not just 2021, but also into 2022 to give people time to recover from COVID, uh, you know, financially for people to recover in terms of their comfort level and traveling to a place like Disney or even just getting on an airplane for that matter post-COVID. And I said, I think it would extend and it would appear that that is the case right now. At least the rumor is, and I do believe that it is um, reliable that the Disney 50 celebration will be scaled back, which is not a surprise because they're scaling back so much in the parks, but that they are going to run it into late 2022. I wonder if they run it through November and then they use the holiday season as a means of phasing it out and getting into December and into their holiday celebration. Perhaps that's what they do, but it would appear that this is going to stretch out longer than just the calendar year of 2021. I think that's the fair thing to do. And I think that Disneyland is going to have to address it, too, because they're supposed to be celebrating their 65th anniversary. And yeah. you can't really do that much on the West Coast either. Right. So this is something that both parks are going to have to figure out in terms of their celebrations. Well, at any rate, thank you guys so much for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. Don't forget to follow us on the social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and TikTok as well, at Monorail Radio. Make sure you visit monorailradio.com. For every episode of the show, or you can subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And as always, if you guys are looking to interact with us outside of the social media and outside of the email, you can always leave us a review on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated, and we always thank you guys for doing that for us and for being such great supporters of the show. We will be back next week to discuss Treasure Planet and how different is it from the original book? How different is it from 1950? God willing, it's better than Muppet Treasure Island. I guess you're going to have to wait until next week for our review. So until then, for Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.